2: it's called the science podcast and these are a couple of atheists that run this podcast so i thought you'd be interested to hear what they say this is only one little bit it's like it's over half an hour and i couldn't play you the whole thing because i'd have to have so many beeps in it bleeping out uh the expletives because you can't breathe this shit's a space
0: This week's episode of the Science Enthusiast Podcast is brought to you by JFK Airport Customs and Security Lines. JFK Airport, for when you want to end an awesome vacation with that special, you know, hell on earth vibe. Yeah, that that was actually my life a couple days ago, and it was really bad as I ran through JFK Airport with my shoes untied to just make it on the flight, like just make it on the flight back to D.C. After. Well,
2: maybe maybe you should have planned ahead better.
0: Oh, we we yeah. don't even want to talk about had, my planning maybe the, for well, leaving. Maybe, the,
2: maybe you should, the flight should have left sooner.
0: Maybe it was just oh, it was a well, it was a clusterfuck. <laughs> but I'm back here. I'm I'm back in my. Unfortunately,
2: slash unfortunately,
0: both more unfortunately. But but speaking of traveling, okay, I've got something to tell you about. So. Today, um, our friend James Gurney of the League of Nerds Podcast and I have been hatching a little plan, okay, to get our friend, Dr. Chad Hayes, to a quackery conference in Orlando, Florida. Okay? Did you see the picture I posted on Facebook today of this this Doctor's Who rock? gala dinner okay at this conference called um i think the conference is conquering chronic diseases but let me tell you a little bit about this um okay so this is where all of us are going to come in to help chad infiltrate or not infiltrate just just go just not, go well, no no yeah, no the, that sounds the, too the plan, the plan too, is just send them I,
3: yeah
0: i just want to send them so so Jam and Planet, that's the name of something, and the United Intentions Foundation are pleased to present—just just let me read it. Just let no, me read it.
2: I can't. I can't. You said United Intentions, intentions foundation. foundation. We have intentions—
0: and They're united, okay? —of things. They're united. So, so those— That's, those like, or, that's, that's yeah. like the
2: human fund. I know. Seinfeld, so those, the human fund. Money so for those, people.
0: those organizations <laughs> are are pleased to present Doctors Who Rock Awards Night, which is celebrating <laughs> such luminaries— as Del Bigtree, <laughs> Dr. Mercola and Dr. Wakefield, who is better and legally known let's... as Mr. Andrew Wakefield.
2: Well, Mr. Well, and, and and let's not forget Del Bigtree is also not a doctor, he's a movie producer.
0: <laughs> yeah, so so whatever, we let's let's just not. But so we so James <laughs> and Chad and I, we assume that the invitations to medical professionals that actively try and act, and help people were lost in the mail. <laughs> so we are asking everybody to help us send Dr. Chad Hayes, Dr. Chad Hayes pediatrician down to Florida for this occasion. So with the support, we're going to have this, um, this GoFundMe that we spent today um, setting up and we will have links in the show notes. We would like Chad to be able to attend the conference, as I said, about conquering chronic diseases and the gala dinner with a little extra support. You'll see it in the, in the description on the GoFundMe page. We can get Chad a VIP ticket, you know, so he could rub shoulders with the movers and shakers of the pro-disease movement. Um, so so that's, a, that's a thing. I was supposed <laughs> to get a tattoo today, but my um, tattoo artist canceled because they were sick. And this is what I ended up doing with my time with James and Chad. So uh, we really and. want to see this happen because we want to see a skeptic – just go into a sea of pseudoscience, and then come back and report on a. I we're maybe a, it'll be a joint episode of Science Enthusiasts and League of Nerds, or he'll do both of our podcasts. But we are go, we want to tell this story of what it's like for a real doctor to go hang with the fakers. That sum it up good. <laughs>
2: All right. <laughs> yeah. I. Uh... I, uh, yeah. And yeah. of course, the, like, the flyer is just funny because it says, it's so badly it, it designed to Dr. Joe Mercola, which I mean, maybe he's a doctor. I, I don't know if he's still licensed or not. But then, uh, it also says Dr. Andrew w- Wakefield, uh, who, who we know is not is a doctor. Not he is not a doctor so that they they have their five guests and, and two of the guests, they, they don't even bother to write the word doctor on it. So like, they're not even doctors Wakefield's not a doctor. Mercola isn't really a, a, much of a doctor. Uh, I don't know who Lee Cowden is, uh, but he looks like, he looks like an old Stephen Colbert, uh, on the, on the, on the picture there. But I mean, amongst other various things on here, uh, one of the one of the funnier things is they they have a they say you know chronic diseases such as Lyme's disease. Lyme's, Lyme's yeah, somebody typoed or a, didn't? With, I don't know. We, I They're don't reinventing know that.
0: it. They're reinventing the disease. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And yeah. and it's the possessive form of Lyme's. So mm-hmm. so it raises at least they they got the y in there, but it raises a lot more questions than there are answers. I think
0: and this is why we want Chad to go to this conference to answer all of the questions so <laughs> we encourage your support and oh and one thing i will i will mention um we have a a set amount on our gofundme but anything in in excess of that amount is going to be donated to the um the gates foundation because they do good work with vaccines so it's it's a little extra incentive for anybody who wants to just kind of support this little skeptical field trip and and also maybe raise some money for a good cause so introduce us dan
2: oh hey Hey. uh well (laughs) (laughs) hey Uh, yeah (laughs) hello and thank you for listening to the science enthusiast podcast episode 69 nice of the science enthusiast podcast my name is dan and as always i'm joined by my slightly well she's not always slightly jet lagged or, or maybe you are i
0: don't know
3: i don't know Natalie. where i am ever. maybe
2: you are always slightly jet lagged and i mean that would that would answer a lot a lot of the questions that that we had
0: that everybody has yeah.
2: <laughs> hashtag people are saying
0: god yeah so i'm so i'm here back from a wonderful weekend in Manchester, in the UK, for QED, which I will, I will talk about a little bit at the end of the show, because it goes with the why we love the internet bit. But um, yeah, I'm here. Happy <laughs> to be back, sort of, as I said before. And uh, yeah, you want me to do a God of the Week?
2: Uh, yeah.
0: yeah. Who is so, our God of the Week? So, you know, I, I, went, um, I went not God this week, and I went Catholic, And chose a saint because there's a there's a fuck ton of Catholic saints. Um, And so this is Saint Bridget. And she is the patron saint of well, lots of stuff, including but not limited to babies, single parents, (laughs) dairy farmers and chickens.
2: It's kind of like a catch all.
0: It is. It's kind of like a hodgepodge of let's (laughs) let's have a grab bag and just pick words. And this is Bridget. So she was a. A lovely young woman. And she was, for whatever reason, appalled at the idea that a guy would would like her, you know, in a romantic way. So she prayed to God to be made hideous. And because God answers all prayers, all of a sudden she was ugly.
2: Well, this says in our website, GodChecker.com that we're using, (laughs) it says, zap!
0: Zap. Because (laughs) that is how it happens. Zap! Bridget got (laughs) ugly. And so that happened. Sky Wizard did that. And for whatever reason, her dad decided off to the nunnery with you, Bridget. And she was into that because, of course. And so God, because God likes to reward piety, I guess. Is that the word? He says, all right, lady, I'm making you pretty again. So he did. And and I guess that is the end of the story. Is this the miracle that, that made her a saint? That she was pretty, then ugly, then pretty again? <laughs> because this seems, it seems fucking lame if that's all that it takes to be canonized. Um, but then the the other thing with, with Bridget, um, Bridget was a popular Celtic goddess. And that story, I think, was similar, but you know why would the, the christians and catholics wouldn't snag any stories and co-opt it and you know turn it into their own so i'm sure these are two totally they're, different they're all, real life yeah, people they're all original yeah so and... so yeah i guess you know if you are having problems with babies or if you're a single parent or a dairy farmer or a chicken pray to bridget and now for a commercial break <laughs> Tonight, I am thrilled to be joined by Ron Miscavige. Ron is a former Scientologist and the father of the leader of the Church of Scientology, David Miscavige. He is also an author, having penned the book Ruthless, Scientology, My Son David Miscavige and Me. Ron is currently featured in Leah Rimini's A&E series, Scientology and the Aftermath. Um, thank you, Ron, so much for taking the time to talk to me tonight.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm glad you invited me on.
0: So I mean I want to give you the opportunity really to tell your story tonight and I figure we're going to talk a lot about Scientology your time in the church your decision to leave and ultimately speak out about your experience there um but I want to start with really how did you become involved in the Church of Scientology I mean I read that at one point you even decided to move to England to study Scientology there um so can you give a little bit of your, of your background in yes. the religion?
1: Yes, I'll do that. Now, would you mind if I gave just a little backstory to start with, and then I'll go back in time. To yeah,
0: absolutely. Whatever. Go ahead.
1: All right. Just to refresh people who are listening to this who might not have heard this, mm-hmm. I was a member of the Church of Scientology for 42 years. I worked on staff as a C-Org member, and I'll explain that as we go along. C-Org is short for C-Organization and it's the hierarchy of Scientology. I worked in that sea organization for 26 and a half years. On March 25th, 2012, my wife and I escaped from the facility they have in Hemet, California. And when I say escaped, we escaped. We didn't just Mm -hmm. go to the gate and walk out. Um, About a year and three months later, there were two private investigators caught Who had been following me. One of them, Dwayne Powell, was uh, looking at a house to buy around the corner from mine. And uh, he looked suspicious. One of the neighbors called the police. And a gentleman by the name of Nick Pye, who's a police officer with the West Dallas Police, came by and said, What are you doing? And the guy said, What? Am I breaking the law or something? And so he gave him a bunch of crap. Finally, Nick said, Look, you're under arrest, man. So he said, Do you mind if I look in your car? The guy said, No, go ahead. Now, the guy had a, <clears throat> a blocked-out, blacked-out van with, you know, the windows blacked out. He opened the trunk of that, and in the trunk he found five license plates of different states, five handguns, a stun gun, two rifles, one fitted up with a silencer, and over two thousand rounds of ammunition.
3: Oh my gosh! Now,
1: at this point, Nick said, "Listen, you're under arrest, because as a as a citizen, you can't." you know, be running around with a silencer on a rifle, 2,000 yeah. rounds of ammo. No matter what the story is you're going to give, the fact remains the the guy had a silencer on a rifle in the car. So they took him in and they questioned him. And by the way, if anybody wants to hear the interrogation that I'm going to talk about very briefly right now, you can go to my site which is called therealronmiscavige.com I'll say that again because you should put that in and you'll get it. It's called The real Ron Miscavige.com.
0: Well, it's interesting that you, sorry that you said the real Ron Miscavige, because I, when I Googled your name, I was really surprised by some of the Google results. There are, there are a lot of people saying that want to kind of seems like tarnish your name out there on the internet. I think to put it mildly,
1: you're being very gracious. (laughs)
0: I'm being really nice, but it was like just walking into all of this bullshit out there when you, Google search you, so so now, real Ron Miscavige, the fact that you have to say that actually says something to me about how wild this whole thing is.
1: Well, look at the Church of Scientology purchased 500, actually over 500 variations of my name. So no matter how you put my name in, Ron Miscavige, Ronald T. Miscavige, Ron Miscavige Senior, Ron Miscavige Extra Ron Miscavige Magician, name it. They purchased these, so no matter how you put that in, it would take it to their smear site. And of course, the smear site is what you would call character assassination. This is, uh, this is what they do as a policy. It's not just me. Yeah. They did it to Leah Remini, who has Scientology, the aftermath. Mike Rinder, who's on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, the guy who did uh, Go and Clear. Everybody. but
0: Everyone, I yeah. have the
1: special distinction of having more web, more variations of my name then all the rest of them combined. And they make me out to be the biggest rat. I should have been shot before the day was up. You know, and this is, this is what they do. Now, no, it, they it do incredible. that. incredible. Yeah. They, they do that instead of handling the issues. They, they try to character assassinate you. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you a good example of this in, in case anybody wants to watch a movie. It's called The Enemy of the State. It's um, very, very good. Well, it's just a good movie, but and uh, in their the character, the main character, uh, the government is trying to character assassinate You see what they're doing. Well, Scientology is doing the same thing to me. Okay, getting back to these private investigators who are following me. And as I say, if you want to hear this, the actual inter- their interrogation, go to real, the real com. Okay. They, they meaning Dwayne Powell. Dwayne Powell... And his son, Daniel Powell, were the two private investigators following me. Mm-hmm. In talking to them, they found out he was getting paid $10,000 a week to follow me. Nice wow. That's a nice bit of change. Yeah. Uh, to report on my every doing from 8 o'clock in the morning to 8 o'clock at night. Um, yeah. like,
0: so just following your your every move, really.
1: Exactly. In other words, wow. try to get dirt on me. Yeah. But mainly to make sure that I didn't do anything like go to the media or uh, start spilling my guts, which, beyond, Natalie, to be honest with you, when Becky and I left, all I wanted to do was get on with my life. Right. That's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to, I wanted to play gigs. I, I enjoy playing jazz. I'm a trumpet player. I play in some Dixieland bands, some other type of music here. Uh write humorous books, which I did do. I wrote two humorous books. One is called True Confessions of a Kid, and the other one is called Hideouts for Midgets on the Lamb. These are just humorous books about my growing up in the cold region in the forties and fifties. Yeah. And then there's an exercise device I've used for fifty-three years and I enjoyed it so much that I wanted to sell that as a way to supplement my income. That's all I wanted to do. I didn't want to have to do anything to, you know, expose any of the abuses of the church. Yeah. But in talking to these guys A little situation come up when they, meaning Dwayne and his son Daniel, were following me. And I was out shopping in a little town in Wisconsin called Janesville. I was in a store there called Aldi's. Mm -hmm. And it's a grocery store. You may have been down there. I come out. This is the summertime. And I have a pocket T-shirt on. And I had my cell phone in my left-hand T-shirt pocket. I bent over to put the groceries in the car, and I thought my cell phone was going to fall on the ground, so I grabbed my left chest with my right arm. The private investigators are looking at me from this van, and one of them says to the other, it looks like the target is going to have a heart attack. That's how they referred to me as the The target. target. The target, yes. The target. So I guess it was the father that said, let's call in and see what we can do. So he called in their contact, a guy by the name of Greg, Greg says, Hang on a second, hung up. And a couple minutes later, a gentleman came on the phone, identified himself as David Miscavige, and said to them, Listen, if it's his time to die, let him die. Don't do anything. Don't intervene.
0: That is your son.
1: That is my son.
0: That is your son.
1: That is my son. And now, that's why they were getting paid $10,000 a week to follow me, because I was considered to be high priority. Meaning I would cause some damage if I come out against them, which I'll repeat, I had no intention, whatever, of doing that when we escaped. All right?
0: So, ju- so just you being out there was a threat to them. Whether or not you had any intention to do anything or say anything, just your presence outside that world. Exactly. What, it not- just was potential, potential damage.
1: You got it. That's exactly right, Natalie. Now, even with that happening, I was not going to write a book. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want these guys following me around. So I called and I tried to get in touch with David. I couldn't get in touch with them. And they put an attorney on the phone to talk to me. And he said, listen, David doesn't want to talk to you. He doesn't feel he could trust you. Now, (laughs) you talk about the pot calling the kettle black. He has PIs following me with rifles and a silencer. But he doesn't feel he could trust me. Okay. I spoke to the attorney for almost an hour and we went back and forth. And I said, listen, Michael, just get off my back. Get these guys off. I don't like it. It ended in uh, nothing. So I finally said goodbye. Mm -hmm. So now, shortly after that, well, not shortly after that, but as part of that, when this guy was being interrogated, the West Dallas police called me up there, and they said, "Do you have any idea of why these guys were following you?" And I said, "Well, it's because maybe uh, I might go to the press, or this, or maybe my son was concerned about my health." And at that point, Nick Pye said to me, "Listen, kid." Then he said, "Kid," he said, "Listen, I got to tell you this," and he told me what David said to these PIs. Yeah. Now, I knew that I had to do something. To change the situation from, well, when I say change the situation, when we got out, both of my daughters talked to me for several months. I used to talk to them almost daily. Mm-hmm. Then they disconnected from me, and that's part of the church's policy. If somebody leaves or uh, says anything about the church, you're disconnected from your family. Now were you I knew that
0: were my- deemed a suppressive person by them? Is that are you considered that? At
3: this if point, not
1: in, if not in writing, in actual policy. In other words, okay. because I did that, because I left the church, I would be considered a suppressive person by leaving the facility where I worked at for twenty-six and a half years.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. And because I was a suppressive, then people would disconnect from me. Okay. Finally, my daughters did did disconnect from me, but uh, Lori disconnected first, and then Denise about three months later. Uh, She was still sending us text, but she wouldn't speak to me. Sent me a beautiful Father's Day card. And she actually said to me several times, Daddy, I will never disconnect from you. Well, she did. And you see, here's the thing. If you're deemed suppressive and people who are supposed to disconnect from you don't, and they find out that those people talk like to me, if my daughter spoke to me, Mm -hmm. her friends would disconnect from her. She also, right. has a, she also has a daughter in the C organization, Tara. Mm-hmm. And if Denise spoke to me, Tara would never speak to Denise again as long as she lived. So it, it's like a disease. You just, it, it'll spread out. So you have to stop it and you have to obey the laws if you want to uh, not be disconnected from. Or you could say, you know what? Screw you. I'm talking yeah. to anybody I feel like. And join the ranks of people like me and people who speak out against them.
0: Seeing so, that... That has to be so hard for you as a, as a parent to know that like by talking to your daughter, that puts her relationships in jeopardy. Like you said, it, it's a disease and it spreads. And that I, I can't, I just can't imagine that amount of, of pull that one organization or belief system could have on on every aspect of life. Yeah. So well, they, it's a lot that you left, and with all of, all of that that you leave behind.
1: They do. They do have that, that much control. You think that the technology that L. Ron Hubbard has developed and disseminated to his flock is going to change the life of every man, woman, and child on this planet for the better. Mm-hmm. You're indoctrinated into thinking that, although that's not true, but you're indoctrinated in thinking that. And as this goes on over the years, you come to believe it and you'll hold it to be a true true thing. But let, let's get back to what I was saying. I knew that my daughters were not told about what was said by David or any of these things. So what I did was I made a, a CD of this interrogation they had with these two PIs. And my wife, Becky, and I decided to drive down to Florida and see my daughters and play this for them because I knew they wouldn't be able to hear this in, in any form so when we were about 30 miles outside of Clearwater we had three private investigators following us wow. we got down there and I confronted them I caught one guy at Walmart and tried to talk to him he ran away from me and jumped over a fence another guy was across the street I drove my car over and said hey what the hell are you following me for he's I'm not following you I said yes you are And the church of Scientology is paying you So he took off, put it in low gear, and uh, he ripped up a person's lawn getting away from me. So this went on. But anyway, I went down there to see my daughters. I went to Lori's house. She wasn't home. I went to Denise's house, knocked on the door, and her husband came to the door, Jerry. Mm -hmm. So he's talking to me from about the door was opened about four or five inches. And I said, Jerry, I'd like to speak to Denise. He said, well, you can't. You have to speak to the church and handle it with them. I said, Jerry, it's not going to amount to anything. I might as well talk to myself in a telephone booth. The only way I'm going to resolve this is if I speak to Denise. We went back and forth for about 20 minutes. Finally, I finally said to him, Jerry, what does this mean? He said, Ron, Denise and I are through with you and Becky forever. Now, Natalie, that was the exact moment I said, and I don't is is this a language barrier on this show? Oh,
0: no. We, we
1: appreciate
0: any kind of language on this show, so go for it.
1: Okay. I thought to myself, you know what? Fuck you. I'm writing a book. Yeah. I'm going to expose you. And that's why I wrote the book. And the book, again, is called Rootless Scientology, My Son David Miscavige and Me. And I, I'll i tell you why I wrote a book. Because, you know, you can come out against the church in many ways. Um if I did a blog, I'd get maybe, I don't know, three, 4,000 people to read that. I knew if I wrote a book, I might have a chance to get national exposure. Yeah. Simply because my being the father of the head of the Church of Scientology, that is what happened. As a matter of fact, when that book came out on May 6th of last year, that hit number one on the nonfiction New York Times bestseller list. And I was on 2020, I was on Late Night with Seth Meyers, I was on with Megyn Kelly, Good Day New York, a ton of other stuff. And we got the exposure that I thought we would get, and we got millions of people to at least hear this story or get a chance to hear the fact that there's been a book written about the, abu- uh, the abuses of the church by somebody who should know what happened since I was involved in it for 42 years, and the father of the chairman of the board. That's how the, yeah. that's how come the book came to be a, did come out.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, because I think it it does speak volumes that you know he David is is your son and he is you know running a lot of this and the fact that I I mean I I find it amazing that he was sending people to look after you and would even say such I mean ruthless is the right word based on you know what he told them about. If you were potentially having a heart attack or something that is just
1: kind of savage the,
0: the, and
1: the thing, the thing is this we all we used to get along when he was a little kid I mean, yeah we just got along great he was a little firecracker of a kid he was bright he had a great sense of humor uh and the, the, the only problem with david was this when he was born he was cursed with asthma mm-hmm. i'll tell you it was the bane of his existence and i was the one who would take him to dr Ziegler to get shots for that i would try unusual solutions to try to handle it for him i i pity the kid because i have four children and all of the other three were healthy strong very athletic david was tough and he actually was athletic but this asthma boy it would take him down i'm telling yeah. you to see a little kid turn blue that he can't blow his air out it's terrible that would it I'm, I'm getting back to how come I got in Scientology? Because this is where I was heading for it, okay? Right, yeah. And uh, should I just continue?
0: Oh, yeah, go ahead. Because, yeah, because I figured this would, this would lead into it, because this yeah. was around the time, right, that you were figuring it all out.
1: Exactly. So now, yeah. this is in the 60s. And I used to try anything to try to handle David's asthma. I mean, I might as well tell you that I've told it many times, but it's... One winter, and, and I lived in New Jersey at the time, and pretty severe winters. One winter, he's having an asthmatic attack that's so bad. He's turning blue, and I'm, I'm afraid for his life. So I took him upstairs to our bathroom. I took off his clothes, took off my clothes, mm-hmm. put him in my arms, went in the shower. And he's just a little kid. And I said, David, I'm not trying to punish you. I'm here with you, kid. I turned on the, the warm water. And I says, here we go. I turned off the hot water and that fucking water came out like ice cubes. He started going. Ah, ah, ah. It kicked in the reflex. He had to breathe in and out. He was over the asthmatic attack. I rubbed him down with a Turkish towel, gave him a kiss and he was okay. Yeah. That's the shit that I used to have to try to handle his asthma. Okay. So now, at that time, I have a friend, Nelson Sandy. And he was a singer and we used to do some gigs together. Matter of fact, he had a great sense of humor. He's the one that said to me, this is in the yeah. 60s, Yeah. I used to be a doctor, but I lost my patience. I mean, it's still funny. We were on the bandstand one time. We got off and went over to the bar and a guy came over and said, Nelson, you're a great singer. Can I buy you a drink? Yeah. Said, no, yeah. But can I have the money? He, he was great with one-offs. So Nelson, dear friend of mine, he said, Ron, how would you like to make an extra $100,000? Yeah. There's
0: you? only one answer to that question. Yes. Jesus, yes. Jesus
1: Christ, of course I would, you know? Yeah. And this is the 60s, so $100,000 is, I don't know, probably worth a half a million or more these days. Well, no, way more than that. So he took me to a meeting, and this was a multi-level marketing outfit called Holiday Magic. And I heard their presentation as to how you could make this money, which is franchising other people and making money by franchising them. Long story short, I got interested And I I joined up and uh, we started putting on opportunity meetings as the one I went to to recruit people to join and make money that way. And at this one meeting in South Jersey, there's a guy standing there talking to a person next to me and he says, well, I'm a Scientologist. Now, for whatever reason, I heard that word and I said, excuse me, what is that? I pinned him down and I made him tell me about it for almost a half an hour straight. And uh, he went over it and said, you know, I can show you how you don't, you never have to take another aspirin if you ever get a headache. He gave me a little drill to do. I didn't have a headache at the time. About a week or two later, I had a headache and I tried it one went away. So I thought, you know what, I got to try this. So uh, it led me to a place in Woodbury, New Jersey. And there's a guy by the name of Frank Ogle who had a cafeteria and he was a Scientologist. He had meetings every Tuesday or Wednesday. I forget which day it was. So I started going to these meetings. And he'd give basic things. And you'd kind of talk back and forth about it. So after about three or four weeks. I thought you know I I got it. Pretty good. But that was the end of it. So now come a little later on. And by the way. What I found out is. In Scientology. Mm -hmm. They did counseling. And it's called auditing. But it's not like other counseling that you'd get from people like if you get counseling from Scientology auditing, it's, as I say, it's called auditing. It's, nobody tells you what to think about what you're talking about mm-hmm. or they don't make fun or invalidate any of the things you say. And it's all designed to make you come to a realization that you have something to do with whatever is troubling you or maybe whatever trauma you're experiencing in life. So I thought, you know what? I got to give a shot to David because what do I have to lose? So I took him out of school one day, took him down to see Frank Ogle. And I said, Frank, do you think you can give David a session and see if he can handle his asthma? He said, well, let's give it a shot. So he took him in and he had David in session for about 45 minutes. David came out smiling, bright, I said, hey, kid, how's it going? He that dad, I'm handled. And from that point on, as a kid, he never had another severe asthmatic attack. He had some, but the severity of it, absolutely. So
0: for you, I for you, you to see it went that, into remission. You, that must have struck well, you as being really meaningful, right? To have that experience and have him have that experience. Um,
1: Exactly, Natalie. As a matter of fact, I think for him, it may have been his epiphany that he thought at that moment, yeah. this is something I want to have something to do with in my life. But for me, I thought if, it, if that can do that for him, I'm going to get my whole family in. I had been considering it, yeah. but I that mean, was kind what, of like… What
0: a catalyst for, some, me for me a right? life change like that and because that. you see your child who had suffered with something you know, have this breakthrough. And so you, you attribute it to this thing. And then, I mean, the next 40, what, 42 years of your life happen all within, after that moment.
1: Yep. Exactly right. And that was it. And I took my whole family to a a Scientology mission and we all got on board and studied Scientology. As a matter of fact, uh, in 1972, I took my family to England for a year and three months to study Scientology, came back for a short time, went back over again in 74 to 75 and did it again. And uh, that that was, I was a true believer. I mean, I, I used to get other people to join. And it, it was my mission in life to get other people to do it. Because let me, let me tell you something. When you first get in Scientology, when you first get in and you enter in, and Scientology experience is called the bridge to total freedom. When you first get in, you're at the bottom of the bridge. There are many things that you do that are very helpful to you to improve your life and make you more capable. There's no two ways about it. That early part with the communication skills you gain uh, having better interpersonal relations, uh, improving your capability on your job. is It is true. But as you get in a little further, it turns from that into where now you're accepting things that you might not accept had you started at that point. But since the first part convinces you that what you're doing is the right thing, you don't think there's any point that this is going to turn into bullshit. But in fact, it does. Some of these upper levels that people do, there are promises made that have never been kept. And I've been around that for 42 years. One of the things would be that you could leave your body as a spiritual being and operate outside of it without the aid of a pair of eyes or ears. Like I could leave here and come down to where you are in Maryland and read a newspaper down there. Nobody has ever achieved this that I ever met in all of my time in Scientology. In 40 no. years of experiment. <laughs> and uh, that whole religion now has turned into a fundraising operation that they buy buildings, they say they're expanding. They're expanding their real estate holdings. But the people going into Scientology for services, with all the exposure that the internet has brought about, and also Leah Remini's program, mm-hmm. Scientology, after the Aftermath, you would have to just got out of a cave and went there to be able to get in. If you saw anything, if you ever looked it up, you'd be convinced that you don't want to get involved. But it went from that, and in the early days, some of these course rooms were so crowded that you could hardly get a seat to do a course. That, that's how popular it was in the 70s. and Actually, the early 90s, I think it was at the height of the membership, and it was and in those days estimated to be around a hundred thousand people. As you right now, people who know, and I say these are people who have been involved in it, executives who have left, estimate that the total population worldwide is in the twenty to thirty thousand range.
0: So, world worldwide number of Scientologists right now, twenty That's, to thirty thousand. Yeah, I mean,
1: okay. Look, I couldn't prove that, but yeah, I, I mean, if, if you go and drive by an organization. I have friends who do this like in Nashville or in uh, different cities or Los Angeles. When I did 2020, uh, we went to Philadelphia because that's where Dan Harris was at the time and he's the one who interviewed me. We drove past the organization on Ray Street. I could look in and glass big glass windows, there was one person there and that was the reception. Not another person was in there and there was nobody in the parking spaces around the org.
0: So you, you devoted so much of your life to being part of this organization. And you said, you know, cause you, you were a true believer, you said in all of this and being a true believer, you would talk to people and I guess try to, I don't know if sell them is the right way to say it, but you know, for lack of a better term, sell them on this religion. Yeah. How do you, looking back at that, how do you feel about, you know, bringing other people into something that turns out to be so toxic? Like do you have do you have regrets over that or any kind of feelings associated with yeah, well, you know bringing well, other people
1: in? Of course, I regret it that I did it. But th- let me tell you this: if you can find out some way to change the past, let me in on it. Because <laughs> I don't know how to do it. What you yeah, can do is what I'm doing, and that is this: exactly, I'm talking out, and I'm hoping that my talking out. And as a matter of fact, I'll tell you, I do personal talks, and I look forward to it. And if anybody wants to get in contact with me, to have me speak at their event or whatever their organization, just go on to my website, therealronmiscavige.com, dot com, and you can connect up with me. You can make a phone call or send me an email, and we can set it up. I'll come and talk to your organization any place. That's, that's what I'm it, doing. It,
0: yeah, and that's wonderful to because now you have this platform where Gosh. you can where you can share your experience and help other people, and so living in Scientology and, you know, being, uh, you worked for C-Org, C-Organization, right? And you, so you were active in all aspects of this. Absolutely. Church. Absolutely. Can you, can you talk a little bit about, I guess your, your experience of what, what this C-Org is and, and what your life was like for a lot of those decades being in the religion?
1: Yes, I can. And I'll tell you now, um, There's a good way to describe something, and that is to give it another datum of comparable magnitude. In other words, compare it to something else. So -hmm. let's compare it to the Catholic Church, all right? Okay. Yeah. Um, In the Catholic Church, you have priests who have parishes, and they run a church. When you join the C organization, you could work at a local organization, and it would be comparable to a priest working at an In the church, a priest is is going to get up and give a sermon. He does confessions, and he carries he does marriages and all those things. Well, in Scientology, if you joined the Sea Org and worked at a local organization, you would deliver services to people if they come in and wanted to buy services. You actually could perform wedding ceremonies if you became a Scientology minister. Mm -hmm. And so that would be the lower echelon of a Sea Org member. Then there's another echelon up from that. And that would be like, I think it's called a diocese where you have uh, maybe a bishop. And that would be uh, somebody in a C organization who worked at a management area like uh, in Los Angeles or maybe in one of the advanced organizations. And then the top-notch thing, I say that, okay, not necessarily top-notch, but the highest echelon you could do would be if you worked at the base in Hemet, California, which is referred to as the gold base or int. And that would be comparable to the Pope and the Cardinals in Rome.
0: Okay. That okay, that, that lays it out pretty nicely, I think, because I think everyone's more familiar with probably Catholicism no. than the little the you know, levels of Scientology. So that's a it's a good outline for the, all this.
1: Okay. So now let me give you another little comparison here, and that is this. And I was raised as a Roman Catholic, by the way. Me too. Okay, so kinda, you, yeah. <laughs> you went to confession, right? And we, yeah, had, we had a priest in our church, and I, I was born and raised in a little town called Mount Carmel, Pennsylvania, and um, we had a, a church, Mother of Consolation, and I would go to confession to Father Zidanovich. Now, Father Zidanovich was from Poland. And he could only understand about half the words you were saying. Okay. Yeah. So if you want the confession, no matter what you said at the end, he'd say, that's nice. He's now says five hour fathers and five Hail Marys. And that was it. I'd go out and say the prayers and I felt great. I felt, okay, I'm forgiven. I'm going to yeah. try to be a better kid this week. I'll tell you how popular he was. He would have lines of people waiting to confess to him. And one of the other priests who'd give you a goddamn lecture had one (laughs) or two people waiting to speak to him.
0: No one wants (laughs) that. (laughs) They
1: they wanted the easy out like me, but you wanted forgiveness and then you try to do better. Now, they didn't have a digital voice recorder recording what you said or a TV camera aimed at your face. And at the end, Father Zedanovich would say, now... That's nice. Say five Our Fathers and five Hail Marys, and we forgive you. But if you ever leave the church and talk against us, we're going to use this on you because that's what the Church of Scientology does. Your confession or your interrogations are digitally recorded. There's a TV camera, and they use that against you if you leave the church. And not only that, they worsen it. They alter it to worsen it. If you said, okay, I stole a rope when I was a kid. They would say this guy stole a rope and there was a cow at the other end of it and he stole the cow. This is how it goes. And they'll use any of this stuff and they make up stuff. As a matter of fact, as a policy. Okay, this is a policy called Policy Letter of 15 August 1960. All right. And the title of this is Department of Government Affairs. And by the way, Natalie, if you want a soft copy of these policies, I'm willing to... If you give me your email when we get off the air, I will send these soft copies to you. Oh,
0: awesome. Thank you.
1: Now, in this policy, it says on the second page, always find or manufacture enough threat against them to cause them to sue for peace. I'll say that again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, repeat that because that just... Wow, okay, yeah, repeat that,
1: please. Always find or manufacture enough threat against them to cause them to sue for peace.
0: So that actually says you can essentially lie if you need to.
1: Of course it does. They're going to deny that. They're going yeah. to say that everything I'm telling you is a lie and everything they're saying is the truth. They're going to say that everybody, like on this first episode of Leah Remini's show, these two girls were sexually abused, one by her father. They say they're lying. This girl who was abused by her father, Went in a confessional, and they tried to get her to figure out what she had done to cause it to happen to herself. That's how insane this is, Th- Natalie. This
0: is like this is like victim blaming to a level that I can't even imagine.
1: You, you, I'll tell you that's true. But whether you can imagine it or not, I'm telling you this is yeah. what happened. Okay. Here's, wow. Here's another one. This is from uh, <clears throat> ability policy in 1955 in mid March. It's called The Scientologist, A Manual on the Dissemination of Material. And on about the fifth page, it says, uh, the law can be used very easily to harass, and enough harassment on somebody who is simply on the thin edge anyway, well knowing that he is not authorized, is sufficient to cause his professional decease. And then it says, if possible, of course, ruin him utterly. Ruin him utterly, and that's what they try to do to anybody.
0: And that's and that's it. Now, so when you're when you're in the church, yeah, are you totally, Like, would the average person in in Scientology be aware that if they were to leave, this could happen to them? Does everybody is everybody aware of this?
1: I would, and yeah, I would say that you know what, maybe a lot of people are, but a lot of people aren't. Right, but if you're threatening to leave it will be brought up to you that okay here, here's another one I just let me get this so I get these policies out of the way. this is also a policy letter of eighteen october nineteen sixty seven and it's called penalties for lower conditions we were talking about this earlier on about a suppressive person right
0: mm-hmm. yes
1: and here enemy that's it's this liability treason doubt and enemy so I'm going to read enemy this is The penalty, SP order, SP meaning suppressive person order. Fair game, may be deprived of property or injured by any means by any Scientologist without any discipline of the Scientologist. May be tricked, sued, or lied to, or destroyed. That's the fair game.
0: So, I mean, I guess I could see why... So many people, I would I would think even if they wanted to leave. That's right. They don't. Upon hearing this, they wouldn't because, first of all, who wants to leave everything you know, which includes your family, your community, all of that, and then to be, you know, you could just be sort of character assassinated by leaving. Exactly. So you can lose everything.
1: Basically, you're right. But I'll tell you this. There comes a point. That you say to yourself, you know what? I can't live this way any longer. Yeah, You gotta get the fuck out of here. Listen, yeah, I was seventy-six years old when I left. I'm eighty-one now. Okay, it yeah, got to and be- I, well, I'm sorry. Go on.
0: No, and that, and that's what what I'm I'm sure you're gonna get to is this had this had to be building up over time. And I'm wondering what, what things happened, what experiences did you have that led to you saying, okay, like, fuck it, I'm out. I don't care. I need to leave.
1: Well, there were multiple things that led to that, but there were a couple points, which I'll tell you that, that did get to that point. But let me say this. When I first went in this organization in 1985, Look, it was, I had some pretty good times. I hate to tell you this, but I did.
3: Yeah, of course. I mean, look, at,
1: I'm a musician, and when I first got in, it was at a, it was at a time when L. Ron Hubbard wrote a book called uh, Mission Earth. And have you ever heard of Edgar Winter, the rock and roll guy in the 70s?
0: I have heard that name, yes.
1: Okay, Edgar Winner and his brother Johnny were famous rock and roll players. Matter of fact, Ed, Edgar wrote, you might not even know this, but there's a song called Frankenstein that goes... It gets a very nice feel to it. And it. It was kind of what put him on the map. And then he did a ton of other stuff. Edgar Winner, excuse me, yeah, Edgar is a Scientologist. So when I first got in the Sea Org, the first thing I did was do an album with Edgar Winner, which I played on and I had a great time doing it. It worked my ass off, but... Those were pretty good times.
0: Yeah. And, of course, because you wouldn't just be in something that brought you misery from the beginning. So of course I, I would imagine that there were Exactly. That there were good times and things that would keep you there you and have, have and reasons to be there.
1: And I didn't mind working hard. I've, you know, been a pretty hard worker my whole life. Like in the cold regions of Pennsylvania, it the work ethic there and the main occupation of people was a coal miner. Mm -hmm. and the saying there was if you don't work you don't eat so as kids we had chores you you didn't say I don't feel like doing it what the fuck you know your father would look at me what do you mean you don't feel like doing it just go ahead you know we we did our chores so we I worked my kids got the same work ethic they had they had uh, chores to do and they gladly did it and they felt better about it so I'm basically I'm a feeling that being industrious or hardworking is, is a good attribute to yeah. So I didn't mind those early days. Listen, I did gigs with uh, Isaac Hayes, and I'm sure you've heard of him.
3: You know? Yes.
1: And uh, it, w- it was a lot of fun. In the early days for Christmas, sometimes we'd have three days off, and we'd go to the mountains where we could ski and we'd have parties there and just hell of a time. As the years went by, it just slowly denigrated into a gray life. I will give you an example of some of the things I'm talking about. There was a guy there who, when Tom Tom Cruise came to that base with Nicole to do some Scientology services, this guy used to call his mother and tell his mother everything that Tom Cruise was doing. His mother used to go to the National Enquirer and sell this so they could write articles about it. He was caught doing this, so now... Nobody could call off the base without permission or going through a central switchboard and they'd say, who are you calling and why are you calling? Okay. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: So your communication off that base is starting to become stifled. If you wrote a letter, you would write it and put it in an envelope that was unsealed. The security force would read that letter. If there was something about it that shouldn't have been in there, it was sent back to you and you had to rewrite it. You couldn't drive off the... Go on.
0: No, pri- no privacy. None. You had
1: no, no none. there was no privacy at all. You, you couldn't drive off the base to go to a store. There's a Walmart about two miles away. We couldn't drive off the base. We're sequestered. There's a fence around the whole base with barbed wire point- pointing in and pointing out. And there's a main booth that the gates are closed. You can't get off there. You have to buy your stuff on the Internet or buy it at the local PX, like a little canteen they had.
0: So a, it's like voluntary prison in a way. You're just exactly
1: trapped. Right. It's exactly yeah. right. And and in the book, I I go into how this does you know, you get indoctrinated and you actually build your own mental prison. And by the way, the name of the book again. I just want to make sure we get it out a couple of times. Yeah. Because it's called Ruthless Scientology. My son David Miscavige and me and I'm Ron Miscavige. I wrote the book. If you go on Amazon, you can get it. And if you want to help out in this, here's what you should do. Get a copy of the book, read it, and then loan it out to six other people. And I figure if we get enough people doing that, no matter what number of books we sell, we'd have six times the effectiveness. In other words, not everybody has to buy a book. They can borrow it or go to a library, read the book. I just want people to get the data about this. Okay, Natalie?
0: Oh, absolutely. And we and we always link to everything in our like notes for our show. And when we put out our episodes, it's all out there for people to get that info. All That's, right. So
1: let's talk about how you can get a mind where you don't just say, fuck you, I'm walking out of here. Of course, you couldn't do it. You'd be seized. But yeah, as a matter of fact, when my wife and I decided to leave, we planned our escape for six months.
0: Right. You didn't just walk out one day and say, I'm, we're, you know, bye everybody. We're, we're done. Bye David, my son. See you.
3: (laughs) I
1: don't know. Never.
0: Yeah. No, that's not how it works, right? Because you needed to plan this.
1: But here's how it's done. You remember I just said that in the first part, the bottom of the bridge, you get information, you do courses, Mm -hmm. that you're given workable data that is helpful in life. Your confidence is gained with that, okay? Yeah. As the time goes by and you get more and more of this, your confidence is increased. Later on, there will become things that you'll be exposed to and you think, wow, I don't know if this is true, but everything you've told me so far is correct. Okay, I'll accept it, and that's it. You're nailed. When you're in Scientology, when you're at that base, you go on to study two and a half hours every day, That's a a two-and-a-half-hour indoctrination into the principles and all the various things that L. Ron Hubbard says. But in your own mind, little by little, you start agreeing that, okay, maybe it's a good thing that my letters are checked because I wouldn't want to make a mistake and say something that I shouldn't say. You agree to it. Now you put that little trap in your own mind. Maybe it's a good thing that I can't get phone calls because somebody maybe trying to call me to upset me so I'm not doing my work properly, and you accept that. You're building, little by little, a mental prison, and it gets to the point where a friend of mine said, look, if they drove a bus on that base and said, anybody who wants to leave, get on the bus, we'll give you a sum of money, we'll give you a job, we'll give you a place to stay, he said, I don't think they would get any takers, and I'm telling you, I think I feel the same way. There are people who are there for 10, 20, 30 years. They don't have any exchangeable marketing, excuse me, exchangeable skills that they could go out and get a job with. All of their friends are there. Mm -hmm. They have friendships. They've had for like 20, 30, sometimes even 40 years. You get so used to it. You think, why would I want to leave? What am I going to do when I leave here? Many people there have no money. They live from week, week to week, and you get paid $50 a week for working there. And some weeks, no pay.
0: $50 a week.
1: $50 a week. And in the beginning, we got $30 a week. And there was, okay. there was I think, two years when no money was paid into my Social Security. None. But you think that you're doing, wow. you're doing a service to mankind. I'm telling you, mm-hmm. that's how it works your own mind is what keeps you trapped there more than anything else
0: because you cuz you are some, like when you're part of this it's like you know something that the rest of the world doesn't and you are bettering every you know not just yourself but the world and all of that and you That's right. And that's I mean that's what anybody wants but yet this is just it's putting all of all of that and this religion before everything including of a normal existence whatever normal means but this this certainly isn't within the realm of what you know would seem normal. no you're
1: right and i'll tell you look if in fact the dissemination of that technology was improving every man woman and child on this planet natalie i would probably still be there right listen i'm a marine veteran You got to be a little nuts to join the Marines. Well, I qualify on that fucking point. (laughs) But I'll tell you, you join the Marines to help defend your country. You don't don't join the Marines, you know, it's a nifty thing to do. Listen, I joined when I was 17 years old. And I can tell you, my first night in boot camp, I said, this is the worst fucking mistake I've ever made in my life. Did you ever see Full Metal Jacket?
0: A long time ago. Yes, I did.
1: That's how boot camp is. Let me tell you, 12 weeks later, I said to myself, I can make myself do anything. I went from being a civilian into a disciplined Marine in a short period of about three months, and it's helped me my whole life. And I'm proud to be an American, and I'm proud that I served in the Marine Corps. And this brings me back to the point where David, now let, let me tell you, David is a trained auditor. And I explained a little bit what an auditor does. They deliver counseling for auditing. When he was 15 years old, he's going to school. And we're back the second time from England. And I come home from work and he's in his room laying in bed. Kind of looking a little bit morose. And I said, David, what's up, man? He says, listen, Dad, I don't want to go to school anymore. You're kidding. He says, no. He said, listen, none of the kids listen to the teacher. They all smoke pot. It's a waste of time he says i want to go and help Elron ron hubbard now he's 15 and he's going to turn 16 soon
3: mm-hmm.
1: and i thought to myself jesus christ well i was 17 when i joined the marines and it was one of the best moves i've ever made he knows he, that he wants to do this so i yeah. said to him david if you really want to do it i'll help you man and he said yeah i really want to do it Dad. so i helped him i bought him clothes and i gave him money i bought a a plane ticket, I was proud of the fact that he was going to do this because, don't forget, I was a true believer in those days.
3: Right.
1: On his 16th birthday, the day the day after his 16th birthday, he flew down to Clearwater, Florida and joined the Sea Organization. Within about seven months, he was working right with L. Ron Hubbard out in California. And when L. Ron Hubbard died in 1986 in January, David saw his opportunity and rose right to the top of the leadership of the church.
0: And he took it. because I, I saw um, the video of him coming out in front of a lot of people, right? And explaining how L. Ron Hubbard did not need his earthly body anymore, or however it was put, and and all of that. And there, and there he is, and there was no looking back, right, at that and, point.
1: And I'm going to tell you something. If this would be something else, if you were in another business, I will tell you, David would rise to the top. Mm -hmm. He's not just smart. He's brilliant. He's charismatic. He's a great speaker. But I'll tell you what happened to him. And this is the best way I can summarize it. There was a guy by the name of Lord Acton who lived from about 1834 till I think 1902 in England. He was a member of Parliament. You can check this out on the internet. Mm -hmm. He is the person who said and by the way, what I'm going to say to you, I always thought it was Winston Churchill who said this, but it wasn't. It was this guy by the name of Lord Acton. He said, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard that.
0: And it, I mean, it definitely seems like it makes sense in it's
1: exactly this way.
0: case too, he doesn't al- it?
1: <laughs> he also said this, which almost nobody has heard, but if you look it up in the internet, he said, "Great men are almost always bad men." Isn't that oh, right? yeah. Anyway, that's that's what happened to yeah. David. you got this power, and I'll tell you, it's it, you get that much power, it's like being on crack cocaine. You can't get off it, man.
0: It's addictive, right? And totally, and and so, well, and clearly, because it seems like he put that that power and his whatever responsibility to this organization over even family based on how he's treated or not treated you you know like you because you don't have a relationship with him anymore do you
1: no absolutely not and i'll tell you yeah what you just said summarizes the whole goddamn thing right there because look in scientology you are considered to be a spiritual being which of course you are as far as i'm concerned it's Everybody is a spiritual being walking around in a material body. You're the engineer. I mean, there's no two ways about it. Um, but it's considered in Scientology that no, and they call a spiritual being a thetan. Mm-hmm. That's from, I think it's the eighth letter of the Greek alphabet, theta. And if you take that, it's like a circle with a line going through the center. If you were to lay that on its side and squeeze down the middle, it would be the, symbol for infinity it's a little inside data yeah. i don't know if you get that but yeah it, it's a little hard to get that unless you see a drawing of it but imagine a a big o with a line in the middle that's theta lay it on its side so the line is going vertically squeeze mm-hmm. that center down so it's like a little loop on each side that's infinity but the word theta is made into a noun and it's called thetan. that's the word for spiritual being and in Scientology, no Thetan is considered to be the mother or the father or the sister or the brother of another one, so that the family is considered to be a false dynamic. It oh. Has, oh, yeah. I'm telling you.
0: Oh, okay. So so that sort of allows for this, exactly. I guess, behavior on his part, or that he could justify that behavior.
1: Yeah. And I'm not the one who made this up. This is L. Ron Hubbard now. Okay. Yeah. This,
0: wow, it, it lends itself very well to an individual making choices that might not be the best when you think of a society as more of a collective. Because
1: Exactly right. And you yeah. will make choices if you're thoroughly indoctrinated into that organization, especially the SEA organization. You will make choices that you could just sweep your family under the rug and put the organization above everything. If you yeah. ever heard of this expression, the greatest good, in Scientology, it means the greatest good and an ad for the organization. Mm-hmm. For the organization. Anyway, so
0: you, you need to serve the organization rather than yourself, your family, your loved ones. It's the organization above all.
1: Exactly. But it's said otherwise for mm-hmm. our purposes. They have, right. they have of family course. days. But let me tell you something. It's bullshit in so many words you know that's a technical term for it Bullshit, yeah. okay
0: it is yeah <laughs> and so you so you and becky eventually left yeah. the church and and so how how did you did, like was there a day that you said okay this is the this is our day that we're getting out of here
1: yes it was and i'll tell you the entire escape i go into detail how we planned it out how we did it in the mm-hmm. book and i'm telling you Every once in a while, I'll review the book just to, you know, make sure that I'm still happy with it. And I actually am. I'll be honest with you, Natalie, it's very even-handed, even more so than it should yeah. have been. But I would rather it be from that point of view rather than saying, oh, look what they did to me. Hey, come on, man. Right. Yeah. You know, life is a game. Sometimes you make the wrong moves. And if you sit around saying I'm a victim, well, you'll always be a fucking victim, okay? Yeah. Okay, that happened to me. Good. Well, I'm coming against. You. I'm coming out against you. And uh, you know, some people say you're brave and courageous. No, I don't think I am at all. But I don't feel I could walk away from that and not do anything. Though. Mm-hmm. You, you see what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. And so you you took agency over your life, and you yeah. you made the moves that you did, and you know, subsequently decided that you need to talk about it, which is is a really like awesome thing for people who might not. Feel as strong and able to talk about things right. like this. Not and- not
1: everybody is willing to do what I did, and right. one of the deterrents are those policy letters I told you about. But yeah, you know, if you're going to do something, you can't be worried about what might be. You just got to go ahead and do it and do your best at doing something. I I I almost say it's like a crusade that I have to do this. Not that I want to see anybody destroyed. But I'll tell you this, if I could succeed in getting the disconnection policy discontinued and all the families got back together and friends reconnected and friendships and all this stuff, I would feel that I did a good thing. And I actually, in fact, would have done a good thing. Because-
0: and is that is that what you feel like Leah Remini is also trying to do with her Scientology in the Aftermath series, just kind of unmask some of what's happened, but also try to do the, you know, just reconnection with people
1: without a doubt. That's exactly what she's doing. And listen, I know Leah Remini from the day she got the part in King of Queens. (laughs) I happen to be at a place in Los Angeles called Celebrity Center. And I'm in this room and this girl walks out into the room and she says, I got the part. I got the part. I said, what are you talking about? She said, I got the part. I said, what part? He says, there's a new sitcom and it's called The King of Queens. I got the part. I said, ah, let me give you a hug. And that's how we met. And we've been dear friends ever since. And I'll tell you something. This girl, she's a tough cookie. She's from Brooklyn. And this whole thing started when she was at Tom Cruise's wedding over in Italy. And she noticed that David's wife, Shelly, was not there. Mm -hmm. So she said, Tommy Davis, who was at that time the spokesman, he said, Tommy, where is Shelly? Now, Tommy Davis in his arrogance said this, you don't have the fucking rank to ask that question. If he, wow. if he would have said to her, Shelly's on a correction program, that may have ended it right there. Because mm-hmm. if somebody says that a Sea Org member is on a correction program, that means they're off getting some auditing or doing some interrogation and they're getting straightened out about something that they were not quite straight on. That's an acceptable truth. But Mm -hmm. when he said, you don't have the fucking rank to ask that question, that set her off. And as it turned out, she did have the rank because I'll tell you this, this girl is doing a favor for a lot of people and she's a wonderful person. I I tell her she's a Joan of Arc of modern times.
0: No, it's it's really admirable that somebody like, again, with her platform or just similar to what you're doing is, is speaking out about something that, that, you know, in a way is it's risky to put yourself out there with anything like this, especially based on how, I mean, how these people are always watching and all of that. And it's interesting, you brought up Shelly, because that was, um, I always kind of pose questions to my to my friends and listeners ahead of time, um, you know, before I do interviews. And so one person, of course, asked, Where's Shelley? Because there's all there's there's some secrecy. It seems like around some of these.
1: Okay. Well, do you want to know? Yeah. Oh, as far as I know, and this is a, a good information because, um, okay, well, I'll try to make this short. My birthday is January nineteenth. Shelly mm-hmm. Miscavige's birthday is January 18th. So I used to always send her a birthday card and a present on the 18th and the next day I'd get an answer from her and saying thanks Ron I appreciate it whatever you know nice thing yeah and I get a present from her on the 19th so I think it was about 19 excuse me 2005 somewhere on there I sent her a present and I didn't get an answer for about three or four days and I thought okay well maybe she's on mission someplace then I never saw her around the base for the longest time
3: mm-hmm
1: when I got out, I have a friend, Nori Matsumura, who lives down in uh, Fiji, and Nori used to work for the Religious Technology Center. That's a division of Scientology that's at the top of the top of the organizations. It's what you'd kind of call David's personal police force. They're not cops, mm-hmm. but they uh, insist on the policy and the technology being perfect, Okay.
0: So close enough to cops. Yeah, Yeah,
1: they're they're policing the technology of Yes. Nori worked for RTC. And again, that's short for Religious Technology Center. And he worked in the communications part of it. What I mean by that is that is where all of any communications coming into RTC or emanating out of there would be handled. So I'm talking to Nori one time and I'm talking to him on Skype. And I said, Nori, where the hell is Shelley? He says, well, I'll tell you where she is. And I said, yeah, because I used to send things and I wouldn't get an answer. He said, Ron, when your birthday card and present would come to her in 1905, I would put it in a pigeonhole that would go to Big Bear. There is a Scientology.
0: It's the bunker, right? The what? Is she at the bunker?
1: No, no.
0: No? Okay.
1: No, uh, <laughs> I never heard it referred to as a bunker.
0: Oh, that—that's what. Sorry, that's what my friend David McAfee called it. He—he um, he wrote an article about it and got an, um, an angry letter from Scientology because he wrote some. He lives near there and oh, wrote something it's about the by
1: Lake Arrowhead.
0: Yeah,
3: yeah, and
1: and that's where that's that's where my presence and my okay go to her, and that's how come I know that's where it went because Nori would send it there.
0: Oh, OK. So that so that is where she is. Yeah. My David, he's a he's a writer and um, writes a lot about skeptic and atheist stuff. And he he wrote an article for um, the Pathios blog about this Scientology place. And um, they wrote him a they found the article, obviously, online and wrote him a a strongly worded letter accusing him of anti-religious bigotry
1: um they, they'll accuse people of things of anything right no, they accuse people mostly of things they're guilty of
0: yes I mean, yeah
1: <laughs> that's yeah operate, so you know everybody is lying except them mm-hmm. everybody's bigoted except them and they say anybody can be a scientologist and a jew a protestant a muslim a catholic that's not true at all if you, yeah, if I, that yeah. And you start moving into scientology up the bridge They call it other practices, and you have to concentrate on being a Scientology and forget this other stuff, okay?
0: Yeah, I imagine the age of the internet has been really difficult for Scientology just because information is so available, and anyone can speak out about anything, really. Yeah,
1: and you know, I mean, there's an upside to it and a downside to it. Right, of of course. responsibility. But you're, you're right, because prior to the internet, like all these things in the early days, uh, there was no internet. I believed everything they told me. That L. Ron mm-hmm. Hubbard was a war hero and all these upper levels would produce this. You go on the internet, you see it's just not true at all. Right. One, one of the things I think you mentioned was, was there a point where I decided we would leave?
0: Yeah.
3: Do
1: we still want to take that up?
0: Yeah, you know, if, if you want to kind of give, if there was um, a particular point and then And yeah, I think we'll just kind of wrap up with a few final thoughts. But yeah, I'd love to know if there was like like the straw that broke the camel's back with when you just needed to get out of there.
1: Okay, there were two things. And I don't know which one was worse, but they were both pretty deadly. Uh, One of them was that my grandson, David, David Vernell, Mm -hmm was getting married. I was at his christening, and I wanted to go to his wedding, which was down in Clearwater. He was also in the C organization. He since has left, though. And I had to put in a permission slip, which is called a CSW. That's short for completed staff work. And you put in there what situation you're trying to handle, what the solution is, and can I have permission to do this? So I put in his permission slip to try to get off to go down to see him. I wanted to get two days off to go to his wedding. Now, I got this approved, and the person who approved it was a person by the name of Eve Laws. And I said, Eve, am I going to get permission to do this? Because I don't want to say, okay, I'm going to do it, and then it doesn't happen because Denise is going to buy my plane ticket. And if it doesn't happen, she's going to lose the money. So she says, "Don't worry, it's approved." Okay. Yeah. The day before we're going to leave, she comes to me and says, "It's disapproved. You can't go." I said, yeah, "Oh no, this is devastating." And both my wife yeah. and I couldn't go. And what happened is, if you're going to take a leave like that, even if it's two days. You have to get interrogated to make sure you're not going to go there with other purposes in mind, mostly like leaving, okay?
3: Mm -hmm. So
1: I had this interrogation. I passed it. My wife, Becky, is going in for hers, and a person there by the name of Jenny Linson spots her, and she questions why she's going in for this interrogation, and she was told we we're going down to David's wedding. And as far as I know, she's the one that said, fuck him, he can't go. I'll tell you something. I was devastated. And I remember saying at the time, Dave, I said, Eve, this is devastating to me. And she didn't say anything. She just walked out of the room. Okay. At that point, I knew that my life was not going to get any better. This was like, is it the divine comedy that Dante wrote? And there was a sign of the the portals to hell.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Ye who who enter here, abandon all hope. That's exactly how I felt. I abandoned any hope for my my life being any better from that point on. That, I got to tell you, was devastating. And then there was another thing that happened, and that was this. We got another music director. I used to head up the music department for years. And this is a younger guy and I'm writing melodies. That's what I did mostly. I wrote melodies and they would be then arranged for videos we would do or films. Mm -hmm. I would write melodies day after day, week after week, month after month, and every one of them would get disapproved. So I sent David a communication. I said, David, I gotta see you. So he got together with me and I said, listen, David, you gotta get me another job. I mean, I don't get any of my melodies approved. I come to work every day I fail every day of my life. I said, I will take a job waxing cars in motor pool, but I just got to do something where I'm considered, you know, at least pulling my own weight. Mm -hmm. He said, I'll look into it. Well, he never looked into it. Several months later, between the combination of that and not being able to go to my grandson's wedding, I said to Becky, look, we got to get out of here. We're going. Mm -hmm. Becky is the one that kept us here for years because I used to mention to her prior to this, but she's an eternal optimist, and she used to always say, Ron, it's going to get better, it's going to get better, and it got worse.
3: Yeah.
1: So that's that. those are the two points, but mostly the one I would say where I couldn't go to David's wedding, where I, I abandoned hope for my situation improving. And we planned to escape for six months. Um, you can read it in the book. Cause it, it's, sometimes just in rereading that, I say to myself, Jesus Christ, did we actually do that? but it was and you did was, that was your life it was yeah it. i remember pushing the button on that one gate where there was nobody mm-hmm. there uh and the security guard pressed the button to open the gate and i said to Becky we're turning left and we were free and we drove across the nation and it was like a ton of coal had been lifted off me magically it was okay. an unbelievable feeling of freedom and i've never no, looked back
0: that i mean that is a true escape in all in multiple senses of the word physical and I I imagine that some of that mental prison was I don't know maybe that was shattered a little bit in leaving
1: quite a bit was but I'll tell you the escape story you read that in the book you're going to say I wonder if this guy actually did it well yes I actually did it here I am talking to you (laughs) <laughs>
0: exactly my um i was talking to a friend earlier my friend buck and he said he he read your book when it came out and that the the end of your book stuck with him because you said david i forgive you yeah. um and i know you say you you've reread your book and you think you know is you know does all of this still ring true and feel good and uh, do you still stand by that sentiment
1: i always will you know I'll, I'll tell you something I don't have time to walk around with rancor or hate in my heart. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you, Nelson Mandela said this, and he's a great man. He said, holding on to anger is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. And there's enough hate in the world to go around. Everybody could have a second helping easily. I, I just won't do it. And I don't know. I think more people should just forgive people and don't say, yeah. "I forgive you, but I don't forget." No, if you do, if you can't forget, you didn't forgive the person. Okay, yeah. forgiveness is yeah, forgiveness. I think,
0: I think that's a that's a really really good sentiment to kind of close this on. And I and as we as we say before we say goodbye, I guess um, can you share with everybody where they can find you on the internet and plug any anything you would like to promote right now before we yeah. before we close it out.
1: Okay, if you want to get in touch with me, uh, go on therealronmiscavige.com, and you'll come to my website. And if you see a person sitting on a bench on the seashore, that's my site. And it'll, there's a window you can pull down called Connect. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can. there's a number there you can call, or you can write an email. And again, I'm available for talks. I love doing it because it's a way to get this word out. And uh, if you'd like to get me to talk at your event, just get me in touch with you. And uh, the other thing is, I think you should get a copy of the book and read it because it's worth reading, not just because I wrote it or I'm a great writer, but it's a story. It's a real story. And then when you're done with that, and by the way, the, the reason I say six people reading the book. I said it earlier in the program. My wife worked in marketing and she said that for every book sold, six people end up reading it. And I'm finding this to be true because I'm a Marine veteran. I go to the PA hospital here and I gave a book to the advocate and I go to see him occasionally. And he says, oh, Ron, I wanted you to autograph the book, but I loaned it to my neighbor. And another time I loaned it to my brother-in-law. So for every book that people get, if they can start loaning it out, To other people and get six people to read it, we can increase the number of people just knowing about this without necessarily sending everybody a book. And of course, you know, if they want to start doing this six person per book, they should buy one if they like it and do the same thing I'm asking you to do. It's a a call to action in a way, but if you can help me, I'd appreciate it very much. And when I say help me, you'd be helping a lot of people.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for all the work that you do, obviously, in. And just speaking out about all of this. And thank you for coming on the show and talking to all of us and our audience. Well,
1: I appreciate you getting me on. It's been my pleasure, Natalie.
0: Thank you so much.
2: In our last segment, Why We Love the Internet, debunked by Haiku.
0: All right. And I see what you did there. I see what you did there. You haiku.
2: You know how long that... that I stayed up all night working on that. Did you
0: or did it take the, you know, two minutes of...
2: Like all night. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All night. So, So debunked by haiku, which you just told me you've followed each other for a while on Twitter, but I just started following debunked by haiku this past weekend at QED because I met the witty and wonderful author of this Twitter feed. And I guess we'll read a few of the haikus, which he wrote over the, the QED weekend. And the first one I'll pull up because, you know, no bias or anything, but just watch science moms, simple takeaway message. Calm down. Science works. <laughs> I dig that. Like I should, I should just put that on my website. Cause that's, um, that's perfect. Uh, then he did one about Coven, who is in my film. Did one about her talk. GMOs are safe, but we need more than just facts to fight the fear babes. Let's see what else he's got here.
2: I like the oh, hangover well. status. No, 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 no. Why, 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 why?
0: I, I probably was involved well, there can in be in <laughs> the- yes all
2: my life choices (laughs) no 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 no. why why but i and
0: then i think the one that had come before that was awards food and wine then too many pints of beer pints of beer i'm loving it here i i think that 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 was very very qed and you know then he he's got a weekend of fun science skepticism and amazing people to every new friend organ- organizer volunteer thank you all so much and then a whole bunch of us are are in are in that tweet and i mean this i actually ended up going through and and scrolling through these this twitter feed when i was sitting in the airport waiting to to go home and it you know it was being nostalgic for something that happened you know less than 24 hours before but um i guess Can I talk a little bit about my weekend at QED leading from that little Twitter feed? Um, So I went and and I really, Nan, I hope you go next year to Manchester for QED because um, for anybody who doesn't know, QED is the, I'm just going to call it like I see it, the best skeptics conference anywhere. It's in Manchester in the UK. And QED, Question, Explore, Discover is what it stands for, and it is just so much fucking fun. And I, I wrote a Facebook post about it, and I also wrote a post for my um, patrons on Patreon with just a few things that I learned over the QED weekend, and a few of them, and these are, these are really important takeaways from my time in Manchester. So I learned that um, some hotel rooms don't have windows, and I stayed in one.
2: That's weird and
0: it is weird it's a, because it's a you cultural
2: tu- thing I mean whatever.
0: Y- you turn the light off at night and then you wake up in the morning and it's still so fucking dark you have no <laughs> you don't know what time it is so so what I learned from even further from that is don't let Buck Mulligan make travel arrangements <laughs> so that's that's the bigger takeaway. Um, yeah I learned that UK chocolate tastes so much better than American chocolate. Um
2: and, and why is that
0: i I don't know, but it is objectively so much better um I learned that miles Power is a balloon boy truther, and I am going to um do I don't know an episode oh you remember that remember that balloon boy that that family who had that hoax with the kid got um
2: Try, Put up trying a, to get like a thought, TV show or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, that. So, so he has a whole conspiracy theory about that. So that's that's the thing, you know, that you talk about when you're drunk in a bar. Um, I learned that. What's, what's no, the
2: what's the conspiracy? No, we're 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 not moving on. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> we're, the, no. I'm
0: gonna no. This is gonna be a whole. This is actually literally the topic of another podcast. So
2: I I have so, so many questions though. Yeah.
0: So so start making mental notes. Um, I learned that I will never again. Book a 9 a.m. flight for the Monday after QED, because no one, no one should ever, should ever do that. It was awful, um, and I, I really learned that the UK skeptic scene is fucking amazing, and we need to find a way to like, to bottle that magic, and bring it to the US. And then I think to, to round this out, I just want to share a few thoughts from my friend Chris, who um, it was his first. QED. This was only my second. It was his first, and he was one of the the people that hung out with our weird little crew for the weekend. And he learned from QED that the longer you're awake, the weirder things get. I mean, yeah. He learned that um being barefoot at four a.m. outside on the streets of Manchester doesn't affect your credibility as a scientist. Um, One of the stars of my film was barefoot outside in Manchester, and it was hilarious. He learned that um, drinking four large Starbucks to cure a hangover creates more problems than it fixes. And he, I mean, you're right.
2: (laughs) Everything's a problem. Treating the effects of a diuretic with a diuretic.
0: Yeah, (laughs) it's, it's it's all a problem. And um, just like me, Chris, and I think I'm speaking for everybody that I, that I hung out with. We just can't wait for the next QED. So Oh, and I showed my movie for the first time.
2: Oh, yeah, that happened too.
0: That happened and and that was rad. And I know I've rambled on a lot, but it was it was a really really special weekend for so many reasons and how cool it is to just have that time around awesome, hilarious, brilliant people. So, I don't know. I I came back feeling really reinvigorated and I don't know. Just in a in a really good place, so I'm I'm happy to to share that positivity.
2: Well, you got some of that to share with me.
0: I I will I will give you as much as you need. I will,
2: I will give you. I'll just. And I will I will not uh, just take not, it. Not 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 have that be an outtake somewhere and use that to to my advantage.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thank thank the people that make this possible.
2: Where there is. Uh, well now it says tattoos and bones but also nathan and ryan and alice and cynthia and michael and frank and jeff and michael and lizzie in the lab and magnus and Sub hannah and felix and chris and michael and michael and joe and sarah and josue so if you would like to be cool like them get your name read and 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 help us do things like send natalie to other countries uh, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash tse podcast to get access to commercial free early episodes and just other stuff, you know. Stuff. I was yeah. hoping you would make pitch up better. I'm not a salesperson.
0: Yeah, I, I think you know you just is that a good pitch? I think it's a, it's a decent like enough I'm pitch. Really yeah. So thank you, <laughs> thank you for that. And um, yeah, that. <laughs> and I guess I'll. And I'm just gonna give you a completely out of context that means nothing and everything quote. From QED, from my friend Chris Lynch, Burger King is no place to find what you're looking for. About eight people will know what that means, and to everybody else, just just make that your existential question or comment or whatever. Burger King, no place to find. What you're does looking
2: that for. mean that McDonald's is, McDonald's it is does
0: it? I don't I don't know. I don't know. Or where where do you find what you're looking for? Ponder that think well, about I that. I
2: believe somebody wrote a song about being unable to find what he was looking for at one point in time.
0: And he still hasn't found it, right?
2: I I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to guess ends. he I'm
0: going to guess he hasn't. And um, I guess next week you'll you'll find us back here with episode 70 featuring an interview with Jenny Splitter that we did I don't know 5 decades ago and um JR Becker. It's so It's been a minute. He, it's been it's been about 5 say. minutes.
2: The yeah, first the first time somebody First time I ever heard somebody say it's been a minute, and I was like, "Wait, so it happened like a minute?" And and honestly, this happened when I was twenty-nine. I think Mm the first time I heard somebody say that, and I was I was uh, spent an embarrassingly long amount of time trying to process what was being said at that point in time.
0: It's been a minute. Well, it will be. It'll be a week until we are back with another (laughs) episode, and thank you guys for listening. As always, we appreciate you. Yeah. And on that note, bye. (laughs) (laughs) See. Hey, tonight's episode of the Science Enthusiast Podcast is brought to you by the JFK Airport Customs and Security Lines. JFK Airport. Oh, fuck me. Too fast. Let me just do that again. (laughs) I'm sorry.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We're not doing phrasing anymore.
0: We're just not. Good God, I think I'm still jet-lagged. All right.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The music you heard tonight was written and performed by Adam Johnson and was used with his permission. You can contact Adam at adamjohnsondc at gmail.com. This podcast is property of Not Narrow or Straight, LLC, all rights reserved.
3: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com.
2: It's my little escape.
3: Now Judy's the life of the party.
2: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
3: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs)